Father in heaven, you know that I can't give this word, only you can. Do your thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Like us to read that text on the screen, which is First Samuel twenty-five and verse twenty-eight. Let us read it together. Please presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. First Samuel twenty five twenty eight is regarded with great significance in rabbinical literature. The Haggadah records seven Jewish women prophets. Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Sarah, Huldah, Esther, and Abigail. Her name means Father is joy. She only gives birth to one son, Kiliab, that she had with David. Nothing is said of him again. And the belief is that he died early. He is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 3 as the second of six sons born to David while he was, he was in Hebron. Nothing is said of him again. And nothing more is said of Abigail either apart from what is recorded in 1 Samuel 25. With this in mind, one may wonder just why Abigail is re rewarded and regarded so highly in the Talmud. Why is this woman so highly regarded? particularly when she was just one of the eight, one, two, three, just a little Sarah Paling, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. She was one of the eight wives of David. And her son, is one of 19 sons of David. He's not given any high place, and she's not, but rabbinical literature regards her 
as a mother in Israel. As a matter of fact, in the scripture reading that was so well read by Jennifer, the NIV records it that in verse 3, she is the only, only, not one of two. Esther is beautiful. Sarah is beautiful. But this lady, Abigail, is the only woman in the Bible that is recorded as both being beautiful and intelligent. It is not to suggest that if you're beautiful, you're not intelligent, but she is the only person, 1 Samuel 25 and verse 3, where she is described as beautiful and intelligent. And in warning kings not to take more wives, it is recorded that even though they be as beautiful as Abigail, don't take more. She is the standard of beauty. But I wonder on this weekend we celebrate in Mother's Day when she's not known for having any son of great feats or a daughter of great feats. Why is she so highly regarded? We may be familiar with the story. It is sheep sharing time. It's not only a time when the wool is taken off and, and is made ready for clothing and for cover. It's a time of great festivity. It's eating and drinking and sharing. And David, as was read in the scripture reading, he said some nice words to Nabal. Gives him honor. And then makes a plea. Reminds him that when your shepherds were out there, we protected them. We didn't do anything wrong. So if it pleases you. And David goes on to say, whatever you want to do. He, he didn't say anything presumptuous. He did not say, you got to give me this. He said, whatever my Lord finds in his heart, would you show favor? And Nabal, as his name suggests, was a fool. And he simply said, I don't know you, I don't know any David. As a matter of fact, too many of these men are running away from their masters. And David, when he got the news, he told his men, strap on your swords. This is where the story gets interested. Put on your swords, and David says, as God lives... Not one male descendant or relative of Nabal would be alive by tomorrow morning. And word gets to this mother in Israel, Abigail. And she comes to David. And she entreats him. She is on a donkey. She gets off the donkey. She bows down. She calls him Lord. And she tells him as if she was included. She apologized for her husband. When she didn't know anything. And after she soothingly talks with David. She was able to stop that rage. 
And so bloodshed was avoided. And so when the rabbis read, the most important thing in their literature is that this woman, the reason she's called a prophetess is because what we read, she prophesied in verse 28 that David will be king of Israel. That's how she got the title. She saw him as king when her husband saw him as nothing. There are five things I want to share with us today from this story. First is a story of contrast. A beautiful, wise woman with a husband for a fool. I don't think that changes a lot today. We still have some beautiful, wise wives and husbands who are nothing but fools. The, the first thing we find about this story is that David did some good for Nabal, his shepherds, and the sheep. And Nabal was ready to repay good with evil. First point is, we should never get to the place where we want to repay good with evil. Think about it. Think about how you feel when you have done nothing but good, but you've been rewarded with evil. It's not a good feeling. You may have spent your life, spent your last dime doing something, and the recipient gives you something opposite. Nabal got good from David. And he decided that he is not going to come through. Question for us, do we sometimes repay God's goodness with evil? Do we sometimes get to the place where God has showered us with so much that we seem not to care? Here is Nabal. And I'm reminded Romans 12, 19 when it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David, you need to hear a little word here. Because you're ready to strap on your sword and go and take care of business. Because this man is not, has not been right to you. And God is saying to us today, maybe we need to be careful about wanting to strap on our swords. Because someone has done us something. What God said was, leave Nabal to me. Abigail said, you're fighting God's battle. She tells David that. And decides that since you're fighting God's battle, God, I'm going to allow God to use me to give you what you need for you and your men. Abigail 
not only stands as a mother who saves the lives of Nabal's male descendants. This is very important. She had no children with Nabal. Her only child was with David, who she subsequently married. So she could have said, he's a fool, his brothers, his nephews, let them all die. Her intervention caused David not to follow through with the plans to wipe them out. So in this sense, Abigail was now a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I want us to stop for a moment and think. Reflecting on all of us, this is not just your question, it's my question. If we can lower the mic a little bit more for me, please. It's my question also. Have I been a peacemaker? In the lives of others, have I been a peacemaker? So here is Abigail, this mother in Israel, who understands that you are blessed when you are a peacemaker. Unfortunately, sometimes maybe not intentionally, we are so caught up in what we want that we are creating more mess than we can clean up at any given time. Blessed are the peacemakers. Here we see Abigail entreating David. And David understands now Leave Nabal alone because vengeance belongs to God. As a matter of fact, the story tells us that 10 days later, God kills Nabal. Actually, God killed him. He, this man didn't die at the hands of anybody other than by God's hands. So Abigail was correct. Let me approach David and let me allow God to do his work. We need to learn how to step back and let God do his work. Now, by the way, wait a minute. I, I, please hear me correctly. I'm not saying to go home and pray, God, please kill him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go and pray that God wipes somebody out. All I'm saying, Abigail's position was, my husband, in contrast to me, is a fool. I'm just going to leave him to God. She wasn't wishing him bad. We need to learn how to leave people to God. And then she recognizes that she has a role as a peacemaker. Sometimes we want to be neutral when God says, no, go on the positive side. Just don't stand back. Do something positive. She could have said, let me just stand back and allow God, who's in control, to take care of business. But she says, no, let me be a peacemaker. I don't have any sons or any children with this man, who's my husband, but he has a lot of male relatives. He's going to die, and all of them going to die. Because David had strapped on his soul. 
But here she had peace in her heart. Then Abigail's, Abigail does something that is very interesting. David is a fugitive running from Saul. He has not yet ascended the throne because Saul was still sitting on it. But Abigail did not allow herself to see David just as a fugitive running from Saul. She saw him as the king for the throne. My third point is we should never judge people on the basis of the present circumstance. You may be running for your life and some may even have the audacity to pronounce your doom, your failure, your, and your downfall but I'm thinking of a song by Marvin Sapp. You remember that song? He saw what? The best in me when everyone else around could only see what? The worst in me. So here is Abigail saying, I'm looking at David. And she tells him, prophesies that he would be king. Now, if you go back and look at verse 28, she says something in that verse that is true. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles, but the second part isn't really true. What did she say? And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. We know that not to be true. We remember David with Bathsheba. So obviously, she was not taking the role of God. But she stayed positive, and she says, I'm going to look at David and I'm going to see the best in him. I think God is looking for some modern day Abigails. Your son, your daughter, may not appear to be making it right now. Others may have written them off. Even some in your own family may have written them off. But God wants you to see them through his eyes. He saw the best in me when everyone else around could only see the worst in me. God wants maybe for us to see through the eyes of Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future in the here and now man sees the problem but God sees the potential in the here and now man sees the condemnation but look in ahead, God sees consecration that leads to confirmation. In the here and now, man sees destruction, but looking ahead, God sees devotion. In the here and now, man only sees your struggles, but looking ahead, God sees your successes. In the here and now, man sees death, but looking ahead, God sees life. Abigail, this mother in Israel, did not allow David, the fugitive, to be the person that she was concerned about. She saw David as king of Israel. And as a result, she entreats him. She says to him, when you get on the throne, remember me. You remember a lady who did the same thing with Joshua? What was her name? Rahab. I know the Lord has given you this city, Jericho. And when you come back and you get it, Remember me and my family. Here is what Abigail's lesson story is telling us. Whatever we do for others will, re will be recorded in heaven to our account. It is not salvation by works. It simply says that God sees not only the bad, but he also sees the good. And therein there is a distinction between God and us because we tend to remember the bad. But God says, when you do good, I'm going to record it. So Abigail, who stopped the bloodshed, secured for herself a future in eternity. So sometimes when we're asking, why should I do good? Just remember, God records it and stores it up in heaven. So here we are. Number one, we need to appreciate the fact that God in his wisdom doesn't want us to repay evil with good. Not only he doesn't want us to repay evil with good, God does not want us to be anything but peacemakers. God wants us to be individuals who are constructive enough to say, how do I not stand and be neutral? How do I bring the peace? Then God wants us to be in a place to remember that we do not have to judge people based on where they are, but instead of looking as to where they are today, we can see them not as fugitives. We can see their potential because that's how God looks at us. 
He sees our potential. And sometimes we ourselves don't even see our own potential. In Toronto last Wednesday, my friend, my brother, Moti Lau, who surrendered his life as a result of being smitten with Parkinson. Here we were as boys in a classroom. And Motilal goes on to become one of the top engineers, not only in Canada, but around the world. What did the teacher see of this little boy that would allow him to be that advanced in the way he was able to construct, engineer, and build things? We use a lot of products today as a result of his ingenuity. We need to appreciate that the person in your house may be your son or you may, your daughter that you just think as, as an ordinary person, God wants you to see the potential in your child. Because the reality is, if you don't see the potential in your child, others are going to look at him or her the same way. And if you see him as being somebody, he can't help but become somebody. And most importantly, if you see him or her as a child of God, he can't help but see himself as a child of God. How we treat those around us will determine how they see themselves. And if it's one place where that has to be reinforced is in the house of God. If you beaten up all week and you come here, this is not a place for you to be beaten up. This is a place for somebody to give you a warm embrace. Well, COVID. But you can give a fist bump from a distance. There are things you can do let somebody know, I see you, I hear you. Encouragement is a gift, and some people have it, and unfortunately, some people don't have it. I'm going to keep it real. Some folk, they should stay in the virtual service. Because once they enter, it's just like, what... They're telling you by their face, what are you doing here? They're ready to tell you what you're doing wrong. Don't go in that room. It's, it's a nice way to tell somebody, you know, something else is taking place over there. That's a nice way. So when you've been beaten up all week and you come for some respite in the house of God, this is the place you ought to know you are loved. We must remember that what God, whatever good we do for others is recorded in heaven. And God will later use it to uplift us in his own way and in his own time. Finally, Psalm 24, 1 is a verse that Nabal didn't know. You know what a verse says? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, 
the world and they that dwell in therein. Now, I may get into some trouble, but that's all right. My shoulders are broad. Not literally, I'm still a small guy. But one of the experiences that some people experience in the United States of America is this sense of ownership. This is my country. And if you're an immigrant, you're being treated a certain way. Nabal thought that what he had acquired, he got, of, got it of his own hard work, his own volition, his own will, his own ingenuity. He thought that, listen man, this is my stuff. We need to learn that when God blesses us, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Yes, you work hard. Yes, you were up on a boat while someone was sleeping. But not everyone who doesn't have is lazy. That's the kind of concept that is driven as you listen to the talking heads on television. The economic system in this world is designed to reward a very few people at the top and the masses at the bottom would be always be struggling. That's the system. It's not that people are lazy. Just think about it. If you have a few dollars in the bank, what kind of interest are you going to get? 0.11%? How is that going to get you anywhere? But if you need to borrow some money from the bank, how much percent you have to pay? The system is geared to reward a few people at the top. In this country, they talk about benefiting the shareholders. That means corporate America doesn't have you, the worker, in mind. There, somebody could come in with a degree from Harvard and make a change. You're out of a job, and that's it. As long as the shareholders benefit. We can sit and talk about a deficit when we want to, say, talk about forgiving student loans. Or oh, that's going to raise a deficit. Well, hello, you are giving tax break to the wealthiest Americans at our expense, and the deficit didn't bother you then. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. In other words, God is trying to say, Nabal, you think that you got all the stuff and it belongs to you. In 10 days, you're dead. Now, let me see what you're going to do. And to add insult to injury, well, he didn't know because he was dead. His wife married the very man that he said, who is this David? Sometimes don't you wish that there's some kind of life after death that you could have tapped Nabal and said, He's, man, they're in the bedroom. <laughs> you, you were asking who's this David? Come let me show you David. <laughs> what 
arrogance. Who is this David? Abigail, this mother in Israel, didn't approach David to be his wife. She approached David so that she could stop the bloodshed and she wasn't going to die. The Bible says that David was going to kill all the male descendants of Nebel. So her personal life was not in jeopardy. She had no children, but she in God's stead decided, let me do this, right this ship. Let me take that which was wrong and make it right. I say today that we need some Abigails in God's house. She was not looking out for herself, but the reward was she became David's wife. And even though we have no record of her son becoming anything in the line, she said there would be a dynasty and she was not telling any untruth. It was so. And here is this man who thought he had all this stuff. And 10 days later, God killed him. I trust that none of us will have such an arrogance, come Byron, whereby we get to the place and say, Lord, this is mine, and I can't help somebody out. It was amazing how David approached him. A wonderful written message. No arrogance, no rudeness. Call him Lord, and his response, who is this David? Well, allow me to conclude. Someone may be asking, who are you? And God is saying, she's mine. He is mine. To someone else, you are nothing. Who are you, Pam? Who are you, Michael? Who are you, Keisha? Someone will be asking that question, and you don't have to answer because God is answering for you. God fights our battles. All God asks of us is to be mothers and fathers in Israel. Look out for the fatherless and the widows. Look out for those who are struggling. Don't look at people as fugitives and nothing see them as God sees them as potentials. Abigail is not given much in scripture. Just 1 Samuel 25. Just a few verses. But yet in rabbinical literature, she is numbered as one of the seven prophets, female prophets in Jewish tradition. And she's mentioned not only as being beautiful, but as being very wise. Her wisdom took, took the place of her beauty. She didn't say, well, I'm all of that. She said, let me listen and do right by God and avoid bloodshed. Today, God is calling on us to avoid the bloodshed that is around us. Let us bring peace to this world. Don't get caught up in these political discussions to the point whereby you're making enemies. God is not a Republican and he's neither a Democrat. He's not even independent. You can't put God in a box. God is for sinners and sinners come in all stripes. And we need to be on the side of God. And that's all that matters. 
Father in heaven, we recognize that there are times when we have not been peacemakers. We recognize when there were times when we were thinking of having our own vengeance. We recognize there have been times when we were not seeing people for their potential. We recognize when we didn't understand that whatever we do is recorded in heaven. And we recognize, Father, that the earth and its fullness belongs to you. Thank you for Abigail and for her story. Maybe we may not be called prophets and prophetesses, but at the same time, we are children of God. May we go on to exemplify bringing peace and not bloodshed wherever we are because we ask it in Jesus' name that the church say, Amen.